Ideals can be dangerous. But what if you were the ideal woman? What if you were Marilyn Monroe? On August 5th, 1962, Marilyn was found dead in her Brentwood home by her housekeeper. Even though her death was ruled as a possible suicide, there have been claims that it was a murder cover-up. Marilyn Monroe died at the age of 36, and the legends, mostly bad, that have sprung up regarding her troubled life may be the reason that this blonde bombshell has never been able to find peace even in the afterlife. This is the true crime and paranormal aftermath of Marilyn Monroe, Hollywood's Lady of Sorrow. Hey guys, welcome back to Hollywood Paranormal. We are your hosts, Tammy Merhep Chavez. Hello, I'm Bryce Mitchell Williams. And welcome. Welcome if you're just tuning into our podcast for the first time. Yeah, what took you so long? I know, seriously. We've been waiting for it. You know. Come play with us. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Down here we float. Ooh, oh, oh. <laughs> a little, no, a little too dark. Apparently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guys are just returning to our podcast, welcome back. We miss you. We're having withdrawals. You can come play with us too. Yes, for sure. Oh, hell yes. Speaking We're going to get some weird fan mail this week. <laughs> I know. I don't mind. Ooh. The weirder the better. Yeah. Speaking of withdrawals, I am ready to eat my hand right now because of the whole fucking 30 Ooh, thing I'm yeah. doing. What day are you on? I am on day five. Ooh, day okay. five right now. Nice. I'm, uh, I've totally stopped eating sugar, consuming alcohol. <gasps> and I know it's so I'm having severe withdrawals. It's mm. like Tammy automatically dumps two cups of sugar into a glass of wine. <laughs> sugar like, is the big one. It's huge. I told you this afternoon mm-hmm. that I stood in front of the freezer of my oh. fridge and I looked at the Moose Tracks ice cream no. that was sitting there and I was just like opening it up and saying, nope, just smell it. Just smell it. Yeah. I was surprised. So I'm kind of in the middle yes. of a thing right now as mm-hmm. well. And I was worried that alcohol would be harder for me to quit. And it <laughs> wasn't. So I'm actually like happy about that because I don't want anything to have control over me. Um, so that was really good. Sugar was okay. I don't have a huge sweet tooth. It's been cheese for me. I'm oh, craving. Because you're Midwestern just, at heart. Oh, yeah. You want to put cheese and ranch on it? Like, let's talk. Oh, that is a good combination. Yeah, oh, are. now you're making me I know. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yay. I really want some zoodles. Ooh. I love that. I've been craving. No, Doritos is the oh, thing yeah. I've been craving. And my husband loves Doritos. So he has like a bag of them in the cupboard. And I had to like stick them somewhere else you're because. So much stronger than I am because if I it's can't. near me, I can't. <laughs> it's it. This whole thing is really difficult. Yeah, it's really difficult because I spent so much money and time in the grocery mm-hmm. store, where I should be placing those funds and times is usually in a Sephora. Mm-hmm. And I just like remember just sitting in the grocery store reading nothing but labels because yep. everything is made with sugar, mm-hmm. soy, that's and dairy. Yeah, yeah, that's what gets you. But that's the whole thing about this program is that it's like teaching you how to read labels. Mm-hmm. But I'm 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 so over it right now. Yeah, basically I'll do any health or fitness plan but if you want me to like give up coffee from my cold See? dead hands like absolutely <laughs> not nope 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 i that's the one thing i liked about this program mm-hmm. it doesn't you know neglect you to you know dessert your coffee and your tea no. your caffeine it's just like no have it but no sugar no dairy which no. i already don't do i just drink it black uh, so i'm no. already on that black train your soul. yes literally <laughs> um but my, one of my roommates is on the like full-on cleanse with her doctor for like her internal organs so it's not like a health or it is health but not like a weight loss right um i mean she will uh, lose some anyway but she like can't have any caffeine i was like i would rather die like absolutely not <laughs> just kill me no you're like take my left nut but yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean well there it is <laughs> All right, guys, so you heard it first on the intro. We're going to be talking about the mother of all conspiracies, legends of Hollywood, this grand dame, Marilyn Monroe. The one and only. I know. Goodbye, Norma Jean, according to Elton John. Yes. But as I like to call her, Hollywood's lady of sorrow. So we Mm -hmm. have a lot to cover. We really do, which is so funny. Were you... Let me just start it off with a question. Okay. Were you a Marilyn fan 
prior to being a paranormal fan or did that kind of trigger you into her because she has so much lore around her I'm always interested like how people discover her oh no I discovered her in high school okay we were watching um I think it was gentlemen prefer blondes Mm. no it was a seven year itch okay that one and I just remember just falling in love with her and just like I just thought that she was the most beautiful woman Mm -hmm. you know aside from um who was it Audrey Hepburn Uh, you yes and then Audrey Audrey. (laughs) it was those two That's your order. <laughs> That's it. It's Marilyn, Bryce, and Audrey. I can live with that. Yeah, you're just kind of neck and neck with Marilyn. Thank you. Yeah, it's, you'll look good as a blonde. We need oh, to God. raise your hairline a little more, bleach your hair, oh. and then adjust your overbite. I can't. No, wait you to, don't have an overbite. Don't worry, we're gonna talk about that because it's insane. <laughs> it is. No, but I I fell in love with her in um in high school after watching that film, and I was just mm-hmm. like I was just so obsessed with her and her history, and then I was just so shocked at how young she was when she died yes. and how she died. Mm-hmm. And then other than that, when I started hearing about the paranormal lore around mm-hmm. her, that's when I was like, holy shit, we yeah. gotta do this. It's yes. crazy. Mm-hmm. See, I, I kind of naively never really understood how big of a deal she really was Yeah. until I moved to Hollywood. Oh, yeah. You know, here especially, you still see her everywhere. Everywhere. In the mural, she's painted on walls, painted on sidewalks. She's a wax figure. Yeah. And and, sorry, she's the one wax figure that they put outside for tourists to see outside of the museum. Mm -hmm. Like everything else you got to pay, but you can see Marilyn. Like she's she's the number one. Yeah, she is the number one wax figure Mm -hmm. that looks like herself. Oh my gosh, she looks, it's so well done. The other one that I cannot stand looking at is Beyonce because I felt like they really missed the mark on that one. Yeah, that one's not great. (laughs) It wasn't fabulous. I was like, come on now. The beehive is mad. <laughs> on our next episode, let's talk about the David Beckham wax figure. Oh, <laughs> my God. Can we? <laughs> Ooh, different episode. The paranormal aftermath. <laughs> There's something. There's something. All um, right, guys. So what we're going to do is we're going to start the first part of this yes. two-part series talking about her earlier life, mm-hmm. her claim to fame, her personal life, and, of course, her scandalous affairs and marriages. The second part will go into her death, the conspiracy theories that surround her death, and, of course, what you guys have been waiting for, the paranormal aftermath. Yeah. Because Homegirl is still around this city. A lot of men and a lot of conspiracy theories and a lot of ghosts. Of course, the perfect combination. The big three. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to start off by talking about her earlier in life. Now, Monroe was born Norma Jean Mortensen at the L.A. County Hospital on June 1st, 1926, as the third child of Gladys Pearl Baker. She was a flapper and She also worked as a film negative cutter at the Consolidated Film Industries. Now, when Baker was 15, uh, Gladys married a man and nine years her senior, John Newton Baker, and had two children with him, Robert, 1917 to 1933. So he dies a little young. And Bernice, who was born in 1919, she comes into play a little later after Marilyn's death. She filed for divorce in 1921, and Baker took the children with him to his na- uh, native Kentucky. Monroe was told, not until like later on in her life, that she had a, uh, a like a half sister, mm-hmm. and then she finally meets her for the first time as an adult. In 1924, Gladys married her second husband, Martin Edward Mortensen, but they separated before she became pregnant with Monroe by a different man. Already, the oh. sa- the scandal begins. Yeah. As she's a, like a baby in, you know, in the womb, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Gladys divorces uh, her second husband in 1928. The identity of Monroe's father is unknown and Baker was most often used as her surname. So Monroe's earlier childhood was stable and happy while Gladys was mentally and financially unprepared for a child. So she was able to place Monroe with foster parents Albert and Ida Bolander Mm. in the rural town of Hawthorne soon after her birth. They raise their foster children according to the principles of evangelical Christianity. At first, Gladys lived with the Bolanders and commuted to work in Los Angeles until longer work shifts forced her to move back to the city in early 1927. So even back then, mm-hmm. you had to live close to your job. Yeah. Here, like now, you still have to live like next door because mm-hmm. it is a pain in the ass to get to and from work. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So back then, it was still a pain in the ass. 
So she begins uh, visiting her daughter on weekends, often taking her to the cinema and sightseeing all over L.A. Although the Bolanders wanted to adopt Monroe, by the summer of 1933, Gladys felt stable enough for Monroe to move in with her and bought a small little house in Hollywood. Now, some months later, in January of 1934, Gladys had a mental breakdown and was Mm. diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. I know, it's bad. After several months in a rest home, she was committed to the Metropolitan State Hospital. She spent the rest of her life in and out of hospitals and was rarely in contact with Monroe. Monroe became a ward of the state, and her mother's friend, Grace McKee Goddard, took responsibility over her and her mother's affair. In the following uh, four years, she lived with several foster families and often switched schools. Now, for the first 16 months, she continued living with the Atkinsons, and then she was sexually uh, abused during that time by Doc, the husband. We like to call him Chester the Molester. Mm -hmm. Always a shy girl, the sexually abused Monroe developed a stutter and became extremely withdrawn. Now in the summer of 1935, she briefly stayed with Grace and her husband, Edwin Chester Molester, Doc Goddard and two other families until Grace placed her in the Los Angeles orphans home in Hollywood in September of 1935. While the orphanage was a model institution and was described in positive terms by her peers, Monroe found being placed there traumatizing. As to her, it seemed that no one wanted me. Mm. I know, it's really sad. It's like she went from one bad place to Mm -hmm. another. She just couldn't catch a break, poor thing. Encouraged by the orphanage staff, who thought that Monroe would be happier living in a family, Grace became her legal guardian in 36. Although she was not able to take her out of the orphanage until the summer of 1937, Monroe's second stay with the Goddards lasted only a few months. And in those few months, Doc continue to molest her soon Monroe found more of a permanent home in 1938 when she began living with Grace's aunt, Anna Atkinson Lower. She was enrolled in Emerson Junior High and was taken to weekly Christian science services with uh, Lower. Now, Monroe was otherwise a mediocre student, but she excelled in writing and contributed to the school's newspaper. And due to the elderly Lower's health issues, Monroe returned to live with the Goddards no. in the nice, I know. In either late of 1940 or 1941. After graduating from Emerson, she began attending Van Nuys High School, which is just literally down, down the street, the street from yeah. us, which is insane. Now, in 1942, the company that Doc Chester, the molester Goddard, worked for required him to relocate to West Virginia. Thank God, California laws prevented the Goddards from taking Monroe out of the state, and she faced the possibility of having to return to return to the orphanage. As a solution, she married their neighbor's son, 21-year-old factory worker James Jim Doherty, mm-hmm. on June 19, 1942, just after her 16th birthday. Mm-hmm. Child bride. Now, Monroe subsequently dropped out of high school and became a housewife. She later stated that the marriage to Joe uh, really didn't make her feel happy, but it didn't make her feel sad at all. It was just meh. My husband and I hardly spoke to each other. She quoted in an article of biography.com. This wasn't because we were angry. We had nothing to say. I was dying of boredom. Well, of course she was because, mm. I mean, it was out of convenience, not out of love. Oh. So in 1943, Doherty enlisted in the Merchant Marines. He was initially stationed on Catalina Island, where she lived with him until he was shipped out to the Pacific in April of 1944. He would remain there for most of the time, I think it was two years that he was out. Mm -hmm. Now, after Doherty's deployment, Monroe moved in with his parents and began a job at the Radio Plane Munitions Factory in Van Nuys, both as a part of the war effort and to also earn extra cash. Mm -hmm. So obviously, we have just entered World War II. Mm -hmm. And with the war reaching, the U.S. Army, you know, wanted to boost morale more than one way. They Mm -hmm. wanted to pretty much produce positive, uplifting films showing that the home front and all of its progress, the country was making in wartime material in the late 1940s. Now, Mm -hmm. the Army sent a photographer, David Conover, to the radio plane factory to take pics of women working. He spots Norma Jean and started snapping pictures of her continuously. He knew he found someone very special who was a natural in front of the camera, so Conover shot many roles with Norma as his subject. Even though the Army didn't use any of her photos, which is like, come on, bro. Conover (laughs) 
Conover convinces the young woman to quit her job and begin a career in modeling. So young Norma Jean begins to work with Conover and creates a portfolio for her to submit to agencies. Mm -hmm. One agency in particular by the name of Blue Book Modeling picks her up in August of 1945. So young Norma had a very voluptuous figure, of course, and they put her to do fashion shoots and pinup shoots. So by spring of 1946, Monroe had appeared in 33 magazine covers mm -hmm. and was one of the agency's most ambitious and hardworking models. Get it, girl. Mm -hmm. Now, in June of 46, Norma had branched out into acting and with the help of Emmeline Snively, the head of Blue Book Modeling, sorry if I butchered her name, met <laughs> Ben Lyon of 20th Century Fox and gave her a screen test. So young Norma's screen test was not spectacular, but adequate enough for studios to give her a standard six-month contract. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And in August... Norma Jean signed her first movie contract, and then in September, she ends up divorcing Jim, sending him papers while he was on duty in China. Oh. This is funny because <laughs> I was watching an interview with him. It's one of those old biographies. I think it was on like CNN or mm. ABC, but mm -hmm. it was an old one in the 90s. And they're interviewing him, and they're like, yeah... Um, so how did she, how did she divorce you again? Oh, I was in China and, um, we were getting mail and the courier like has all the mail and he's handing them out to me and he tells me, oh, you have legal paperwork. And before he is able to touch the envelope, one of his friends yells out, oh yeah, bro, you're getting divorced. That's what it means. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yikes indeed. So she pretty much like sends him the paperwork like X's out all the places where he needs to sign like sign here here and here yeah. mail it thank you have fun in China bye <laughs> so they divorce and she continues to work so Fox really didn't think that Norma Jean was the name that would catch on to movie going audiences and in a compromise with the studio allowed her name to be changed with Lion picking the name Marilyn after the Broadway star Marilyn Miller mm -hmm. and Norma Norma was demanding to use her mother's maiden name of Monroe Thus, Marilyn Monroe, a star is born. Mothers, lock up your sons, wives, uh. keep an eye on your husbands. So Marilyn does okay. Her first, you know, during her first contract period, she does all right. She ends up being in two films, Dangerous Years and the comedy Scootahoo, Scootahay, which I'm assuming is like the movie She's All That, but in, mm. you know, in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. So she only had 10 lines, but unfortunately, Fox did not renew her contract. So Marilyn went back to blue book modeling, picked up acting classes and performed and um, starred in a couple of local theater productions. Mm -hmm. So she kept promoting herself to other movie studios, and by 1948, she signs a contract with Columbia Pictures. It is here that the transformation mm. from Norma Jean Baker, which is like a sandy blonde, to screen le legend Marilyn Monroe begins. Mm -hmm. Now, with the new name, she needed a new look, so Marilyn Monroe begins working with Natasha Latisse, who is the studio's main drama coach. So Latisse... Uh, became Marilyn's mentor and mm -hmm. has Marilyn change her appearance by bleaching her hair, raising her hairline. Bryce, you should take some notes. <laughs> she uh, soon makes one film with Columbia, which is a low-budget, unsuccessful musical. But the important thing about the movie is that it was her first starring role. Mm -hmm. During her time at Columbia, she begins to date her vocal coach, Fred Cogar. It is rumored that he had paid to have a slight overbite of Marilyn's corrected to help with her singing. Unfortunately, Columbia decides to drop her just like Fox and not renew her contract. So in 1948, Marilyn signs with William Moore's agency and begins a relationship with the VP, Johnny Hyde. Mm -hmm. Johnny falls head over heels for Marilyn to the point where he proposes every single day to her. And every single day, she declines. So he decides to represent Marilyn, bets for her, and even offers to pay for a minor plastic surgery, which was not the best practice at the time. And it was a surgery that would help fix her nose and chin, which I find kind of funny. It seems like all these guys that she gets involved with wants to fix her physically, but mm -hmm. not fix her internally. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean... I will save my comments on that <laughs> for later because I have very strong opinions about this. So, yes, yeah. the tea. We're gonna will keep be going. Yeah, in say, this we're, room. Gonna, we're gonna keep talking about how she got there, and then yes, I will be absolutely talking about why. So Great. high. Yeah. 
So Hyde continues to give Marilyn a bunch of auditions, but no parts landed on her lap. What he eventually gets her is a small bit role in the Marx Brothers film. Mm -hmm. But Marilyn was not making the rent, so she eventually ends up doing a photo shoot with Tom Kelly in Mm -hmm. 1949. She was to pose nude for a calendar, which only paid her $50. But she needed to pay rent, and back then she was only paying $20, what is it, a month or week for rent? I would assume a month. I, I think it was a month, $20. Compared to the 1600 we have today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eventually, this photo shoot will come back to haunt her and cause her trouble. But at the same time, it helped her pay her bills and it would get her noticed. Oh, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So finally, by 1950, Hyde and his agency finally gets Marilyn to appear in six films. Two of the films, Asphalt Jungle and All About Eve. It was her portrayal as Angela in Asphalt Jungle that got her noticed. This led to a huge negotiation of a seven-year contract with 20 century uh, 20th century fox in december of that year a few days after monroe signs the contract with fox and then bam tragedy hits right after she Mm -hmm. signs the contract hyde had a massive heart attack and dies immediately monroe was heartbroken and even though she had refused johnny's proposal she was very much in love with him Mm -hmm. which led to a string of many tragic events to unfold in her life in 1951 which was still her breakout year Mm -hmm. she began starring in a few low budget films and eventually becomes a presenter at the 23rd academy awards she receives good reviews from critics but she wasn't getting any big roles she was just in a string of not-so-good relationships with directors Elia Kazan and Nicholas Ray. Yes, at the same time, along with two actors by the name Peter Lawford, which will be another key player mm-hmm. in her murder case, or Sui case, um, and Yul Briner. Now then, in 1952, Monroe finally broke out as a leading lady into films. She received high acclaim in her role as a cannery worker in the film Clash by Night, which allowed her to showcase high acting range between comedy and thriller, and the films were commercial successes, if not Academy-worthy. Her name was definitely getting out there, and then the nude pictures are shown Mm -hmm. in magazines, in public. It is a madhouse. It was a mad scramble for Monroe and studio executives to do major damage control. So in other words, this was pretty much bad PR for her, but this Mm -hmm. was already Monroe's first major scandal. Mm -hmm. But Monroe ends up putting a good face and does a slew of interviews explaining that she had been in dire financial stress and it was the only way for her to stay out of the poorhouse. She needed to pay rent. She needed to feed herself. This not only was group gossip, but it also developed a lot of sympathy for Monroe. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like bad PR is good PR. Mm -hmm. It made the public spend more money on her films. And this was also the year that Marilyn Monroe would find the first love of her life, Joe DiMaggio, and her other mentor, Lee Strasberg, Mm -hmm. who introduces her to a slew of characters that pretty much control her life from then on out yeah yeah very insane which i find funny it's so funny because like her nude pictures get her famous regardless today it's like kim kardashian and her sex tape got her famous Mm -hmm. regardless but here monroe is just completely honest she's very lucid she's like yeah i did it oh yeah (laughs) like you know yeah that's those are my tits right there um i mean I, i had to Sorry. Yeah, I think this is the first time that we see from her that there, because her type, and especially back then, mm-hmm. the studios really owned the actors that were employed with them. So yeah. you know, a lot of the things you're saying are like, you know, she signed with this company for this many months or whatever. That means like she either was or was not working. It's not like now where you're like, oh, I can audition for Warner Brothers and then go down the street to Marvel and then go down the street. Like, no, mm-hmm. you worked for Fox or for Columbia or whatever. Yeah, they and so, owned you. Literally. I mean, mm-hmm. bad PR was a career killer. And that's why you see all these old Hollywood celebrities, Rock Hudson, and he's being forced to be married so that no one finds out he's gay. Oh, and, yeah. And this is, I think, the first time where you see, like, this sort of duality with Norma Jean and Marilyn Monroe. Like, she's actually really smart. She actually understands what it takes to be a star. And, like, she addresses this frankly, PR nightmare 
head on and with like a calm, savvy business sense. And Mm -hmm. she's like, she totally plays up the like, I was a poor struggling actress. Like I had to do it to make ends meet. And America falls in love with her. They totally buy it. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's so shady, which again, like put a pin in this because I'm going to (laughs) bring it up later. But like she, like you said, she got paid 50 bucks and the photographer got paid $500. (laughs) And then... When they are sold to a yet-to-be-named, albeit very for, like famous playboy, looking at you, uh, <laughs> I see you, uh, speak ill of the dead, um, he paid the photographer. So Rhymes again, with shmoo, Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, we'll get there. We get there. Um, but again, it's like she is on screen, this very like blonde, ditzy, yeah. like naive, young girl next door type or not girl next door like blonde bombshell dits yeah she's a, she's just labeled as a blonde ditz. yeah yeah but she's actually very smart she's very very smart okay very let's keep going <laughs> she is business savvy she's smart and people don't realize that they just see you know blonde sexy mm-hmm. woman blonde sexy curves mm-hmm. and they try to take advantage of it and then she meets lee strasberg yes Oh my God! Well, and many that, th- shades of this man. And so that is kind of what happens: is that because she sort of gains this desire to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. um, she starts seeking out not only like more serious roles in the work that she's picking, but also she wants to be taken as a serious actress. And at the time, that was who you studied with if you, you were serious. Artist. An artist. Artist. Yeah. According to Lee Strasberg, it's artists. Oh, <laughs> yes. bless him. So before we hit the Lee Strasberg, mm-hmm. hey, right here, just a background of him. Strasberg was born in 1901 in Austria-Hungary and was raised in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. He was a genius at analyzing an actor's performance performance and a stern and often cold taskmaster. Mm. Now, according to a 2010 article in VanityFair.com, uh, Marilyn was living at the Gladstone Hotel on 57th Street off of Park Avenue because she was at this time by coastal going um, in between like Los Angeles and New York. She was East Coast, West Coast um, when she began working with Strasburg and embarked upon the psychoanalysis that was the de rigueur for taking classes yes. at the actor's studio. Which begins her whole psychosis right there. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was his whole thing is that he he very strongly felt that in order to be a fully realized human on stage, quick acting lesson with Bryce. Of course, uh, you had to be a fully realized human and address your demons. Mm-hmm. And as you sort of touched on, like she clearly had many, mm-hmm. um, and was continuing to have such you know i mean at this time like when she started at the strasburg school she's sort of being vilified and praised for being a sex symbol oh yeah in like a very rigid 1950s society where you know for example it's illegal to mail pornography but they got around that and like still shipped this calendar by like having one of those like film overlays so it looked like when you were shipping it that she had negligee on but the actual photo was like underneath when you unwrapped it oh yeah so it's like this very uptight society praising her on the one hand and then like damning her on the other hand and she's like getting the full brunt of that like psychosis Mm -hmm. so lee strasberg introduces her and like kind of not forces her but requires her to be seen as psychotherapist and being like analyzed while she's taking class right and that's where it all kind of ties into together for Marilyn. Mm-hmm. So uh, for Marilyn, who grew up shunted from one foster family to another, not knowing who her father was, Strasburg became a beloved paternal figure, autocratic yet nurturing, and his acceptance of her as a private student bolstered her confidence mm-hmm. and gave her the training to improve her acting and turned her from a, a movie star, finger quotes, and punchline into a true artiste. Mm-hmm. Now, but years later, Kazan observed, the more naive and self-doubting the actors, the more total was Lee's power mm-hmm. over them. The more famous and the more successful these actors, the headier the taste of power for Lee. He found his perfect victim devotee in Marilyn Monroe so Marilyn soon undergoes the harrowing experience of psychoanalysis for the first time at the urgency of Strasbourg mm-hmm. the key players include Strasbourg himself 
and her three psychiatrists, Dr. Margaret Hohenberg and Dr. Marianne Chris and Dr. Ralph Greenson. These people will play a pivotal mm-hmm. role in her life and the events leading up to her death. Mm-hmm. Greenson, crazy. Mm-hmm. I want to see this man and really punch him in the face and the balls yeah. and the stomach and everything. Well, as with many, like doctors there are always good doctors but in this era especially there's a lot of like quote unquote doctors like doctors finger quotes yeah chris and greenson will discover later on in this episode Mm -hmm. how freaking shady Mm -hmm. and like money hungry they are Mm -hmm. how greedy they are but they really take advantage of Marilyn mm-hmm. under Strasburg's guidance. Mm-hmm. So, well, and that's so crazy. So, also at this time, she's actually living with Lee Strasberg and his wife. Yeah, which is like, if you subscribe to any kind of like brainwashing or cult theory or anything like that, that is like like you were saying a primed pump. Like that is someone who is under your watch and or influence nearly 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. and at this point she's also on suspension from the studio not to like go completely into that right but like she's literally just spending her time in class because she's not working right now she's on like a suspension so she can't even make a film she can act like she can go to acting class was this suspension because of the photos no, actually, um, this one. So she actually didn't even get in trouble, like quote unquote, for the photos. Yeah, which because is I, I assume because well, yeah, she handled it yeah. so amazingly. It actually, like you were saying, yeah. made her more famous. And right. that same year, she actually was named the. Uh, I'm, I almost said sexiest man alive, and that's not <laughs> what it was. <laughs> Can you imagine? Her and Hugh Jackman. Uh, no, she was named whatever the. Uh, equivalency was of like most beautiful mm-hmm. female actress of that year so it actually like totally worked for her she was on suspension because she refused to make this like really bad musical oh the pink stocking yes thank that you. we're I gonna think, yeah we're gonna get yeah. to that oh but this is all sure. happening so now she's just in the Strasbourgian web if you will oh yeah she doesn't have anything else to do so you might as well like take class and get psychoanalyzed and then like come home for dinner and carry on like mm-hmm. crazy that, that yeah everything about this woman's life is insane yes it's just a web of mess mm-hmm. all right so that actually segues me into her famous marriages her scandalous affairs, mm-hmm. and her rise to fame. Yes. So she gets involved with Joe DiMaggio. If you guys don't know who Joe DiMaggio is, let me fill you open in. Open a book. I know, open a book. <laughs> Google search. That's not fair, I'm just kidding. Wikipedia, this man, DiMaggio, nicknamed Jolton Joe, or the Yankee Clipper, was an American baseball center fielder who played his entire 13-year career in Major League Baseball mm. for the New York Yankees. He's also a Cali boy, originally from San Francisco. So Joe DiMaggio is instantly taken with Marilyn when he sees a picture of her posed in a risque baseball outfit complemented with high heels. Mm. Immediately goes after her, is completely gaga over her. Just four months after their first date, he takes her to his hometown of San Francisco to meet the familia. So they Oof. sit down, he meets, like she meets Mama DiMaggio, Father DiMaggio, all eight or 12 of his brothers and sisters. No. You know, they cook a meal. Oh, great. She's already wifey material. So. Four months? Four months. I don't even like to learn last names within four months. <laughs> like, no. I can't even commit to a pair of shoes for four months. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But it's it's kind of shady. Mm. I mean, she's she's got game. Mm-hmm. I tell you that. While she's dating DiMaggio, she was dating a really handsome Greek actor, Nico Menandros, Ooh. and a film writer at the same time. Mm-hmm. There was also a rumor that she had a secret marriage to writer Robert Saltzer, who, in my opinion, stalker. He claimed that him and Marilyn hit it off and ended up getting married in Mexico after she shot the movie Niagara, which was the movie set that he was creeping on. Mm -hmm. So Robert Saltzer is an interesting man. And the reason why all of these conspiracy theories started that surrounded her death started um, was due to his book that was released in 1972, The Life and Curious Death of Marilyn Monroe. In it, he goes into detail about her life, their relationship, their short Oof. marriage in Mexico, and the immediate divorce that the studios forced 
him to get. So the continuous friendship and affairs, especially with JFK, they're all like conspired by this man in his book. Can I, I don't know if anyone can hear this, but my eyes are rolling so, <laughs> so I think they aggressively could right now. <laughs> I mean, they are too. People can sense it. Mm-hmm. Just rolling in my head. Like, oh, come on. I'm sitting here waiting till your eyes address. Right I know. <laughs> I know. So by Christmas in 1954, she was living in New York City. She already had appeared mm-hmm. in Niagara and gentlemen prefer blondes where she is. She has perfected her signature character, the mm. vulnerable, the dumb, sensual blonde, as we discussed. Mm-hmm. And in How to Marry a Millionaire with brilliant success after that Monroe's fame was such that she supplanted into popularity the ultimate World War II pinup girl. Mm-hmm. So in December 54, shortly after the completion of the seven-year itch, Marilyn formed Marilyn Monroe Productions, Inc. with photographer Milton Green. And it was pretty much an FU to 20th Century Fox and Daryl F. Zunick, since a lot of the roles she was being given were the dumb blonde mm-hmm. parts, as you stated. What sparked the, such a move was the movie The Girl in the Pink Tights, mm-hmm. not the pink stockings. So uh, it was the girl in the pink tight starring Frank Sinatra that Fox pitched to Marilyn and she looked at the script and was like, you're joking. Mm-hmm. On top of that, this is what I found out that was so fucked up. You, like like um, the photographer that took the pictures of her nude. You're not going to believe this. Frank, who was in the film, was getting $5,000. She was going to be paid $1,500. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is actually, (laughs) this is such a crucial turning point for her as a human, as an artist, but especially as like a woman working at, you'll notice the only woman that we talk about in her life is her because there's all of these men around her and they are using her in the worst possible Oh, yeah, ways. for her name and looks. A hundred percent. And so she, the reason she was on suspension is that she says no to this shitty movie. Mm-hmm. She says no to contracts where she's not being paid. They hadn't updated her contract since they hired her. So she's getting paid, like you're saying, significantly less, not just than like her male counterparts, because that is still a struggle that we are still trying to work oh, yeah. out the gender pay gap is real especially in hollywood oh and it's it is so i can tell you from personal mm-hmm. experience <laughs> yeah. it is so that hasn't gone away but even from other female stars who she was equal on mm-hmm. equal playing field she's getting paid so much less she's like you know what i'm done and fox is like we don't need you they totally try and pull the studio power play and it backfires on oh them. it does 100 so she does gentlemen prefer blondes huge success mm-hmm. she's then named all these things she's presenting like you were saying she's crushing it and making tons of money so they like essentially have to beg her to come back yeah and she's like Okay, motherfuckers, here's how I'll be coming back. It's how she starts her own production company. She gets the rights to decide the directors, the projects, the cinematographers that she'll be working with. She gets equal pay guarantee, not with men because it's the 50s, but Mm -hmm. still baby steps, I guess. (laughs) And so she does. She, like, comes back and, like, basically alters her own path for the first time like right. up until this point it's just men literally taking advantage of her oh yeah her entire life and they continue to do so but she at least now has a modicum of control right a very small amount <laughs> i was watching i think it was the lifetime movie they did on her and i was watching yes. that scene where where she's in the office of 20th century yes. fox and they're like battling she's arguing with the vp the execs and, and they're like well there's a ton of marilyn monroe's out there coming out of the bus she's like no there's a ton of norma jeans coming out of the bus there's only one marilyn monroe mm-hmm. and she's walking out of his office i was yeah. like Get it, girl. And she really was, like, drug through the mud by the media for this. They were like, again, her persona was so strong. Like, this stupid actress wants to start her own production company. Oh, yeah, here we go. The media storm again. Oh, man. Chaos. And then she's – so essentially the seven-year itch – with its very famous subway scene that we've all... Oh, yes. Like, everybody knows. We'll get into that, too. But it is so iconic, and it's so – career defining yes that she basically comes back and she's like kiss it like (laughs) name my price and that's kind of how she 
not only solidifies herself as a sex symbol, but like takes the reins of her own career. And like, no, I will be choosing the project. And they do. They negotiate her. Yeah. So for every movie that she does with MMC, her own production company, she does have to do like a shitty musical. Yeah. But again, for the time, it is like revolutionary. Mm -hmm. God, we need feminism. We do. (laughs) (laughs) We do. Carry on. <laughs> no, I 100% agree. Trust me. So she marries Joe DiMaggio mm-hmm. in January of that year, entertained troops in Korea and, Korea and filmed the seven year itch. So, like we said, like she is mm-hmm. just killing it. But the movie's famous billboard displeased the Yankee Clipper, and the two filed for divorce in October, just nine months after marrying. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. The thing is, and that I read about, too, uh, about Joe, is that um, he was, you know, hardcore Italian. Mm-hmm. Jealous. Mm-hmm. Jealous. Very. I, I feel like he's border not, borderline obsessed with her. He loved her. She loved him. The thing that I found out, too, is that he was very insecure. Yes. He's very insecure. She's very insecure. When they found that out, you know, there it was like, wait, you're like really hot and insecure. And I'm like really famous and insecure. Mm-hmm. Let's like get together and be insecure together. And he's super jealous. Oh, and yeah. allegations that he's physically abusive. Oh, and- that was true. That was another thing that happened at, uh, during the shoot of Seven Year Itch. Mm-hmm. That scene of her over the subway grate. He was behind the camera watching that scene being taken over and over again. It was several hours of filming. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he just was dying. He was ready. He was like grinding his teeth. Mm -hmm. He was like literally watching his like wife or soon to be wife, you know, being gawked at by the media, by all these guys. By the end of the filming, they said that there was a crowd of over 2,000 people watching. Which is, if you've never been on a film set, let me tell you that that does not happen. It does anymore. not happen. That's, I can tell you that. <laughs> that is not normal. <laughs> that is not of compliance. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> he is um he's yeah, he gets super mad after that shoot happens. They have a physical altercation. Mm-mm. And that physical alterta- altercation happens. He I think he punches her or oh he my grabs God. her to the point where the next day of shoot like she is on set with bruises. Oh, my God. And her makeup artist is like, uh, girl, we need to talk about this. About the bruises? No. Well, we got to cover this up, but we need to talk about this. So she's just over it. She's like, Joe, I can't do this anymore. No, We're he's... breaking up. <laughs> First of all, the I know. hypocrisy of someone who, like, he clearly just wanted a wife. Yeah, he wanted but, a wife. But that is not who you met. You were attracted to her, I'm sorry, because of a sexy photo so you don't get to turn around and be mad about another sexy photo like that's what happens when i mean mm -hmm. no offense when you're an insecure man and you have this most desired woman next to you as your wife that you're trying to control but no one can control her Mm -hmm. she is her own woman praise her but she's like no i got things to do yeah and she continues to work and at first um you know she's you know dating other people (laughs) she's hooking up with other directors Mm -hmm. and then she becomes quite smitten with a pulitzer prize winning author of all my sons author miller Mm. and this is a very very interesting and long affair it turned out that author had met marilyn a while back Mm -hmm. and he was very you know taken with her to the point where he could have left his wife earlier for her yeah in a, I think it was in an interview he, when he wrote The Crucible, he um, he based the characters, um, who was it? Uh, uh, Abigail. Abigail and Proctor off of him and mm-hmm. her. Well, yeah, yeah. The Crucible is literally his entire experience of the 50s. It yes. Is, uh, it's so good. It was so good. But he, you know, pretty much bases himself off of John Proctor, mm-hmm. who has an affair with Abigail, young girl. <sighs> so think about that. Mm-hmm. So, um, of course, author Miller was still married to his first wife, Mary Slattery, at the time. Now, Miller possessed those traits that Marilyn most admired. Intellectualism, artistic achievement, high seriousness. So they The same age as her father. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy issues. (laughs) We all all got them. We have all got them. Oh, yeah. So they finally, you know, hook up. They wed in the civil ceremony on June 29th, 1956. Marilyn having converted to Judaism. Two days later, Lee Strasberg acted as her father, giving the bride away 
away in an intimate Jewish wedding. <sighs> Mashugana. Ah, there you go. Yo. <laughs> So at first, she was deliriously happy moving back to New York with her new husband to take mm -hmm. up residence in her dazzling white apartment at Two Sutton Place, to which she had moved after leaving the Waldorf Astoria and then to 444 East 57th Street in an apartment with a book-lined living room complete with a fireplace and piano and her husband, mm -hmm. Arthur Miller. In the Italian Green um, Engraved Diary, she wrote this little insert. I am so concerned about protecting Arthur. I love him. And he's the only person, human being, I have ever known that I could love. And not only as a man to which I am attracted to, particularly out of my senses about, but he is the only person that I trust, that I trust as much as myself. Mm. Because when I do trust myself about certain things, I do fully, Marilyn writes about to her sexual abuse, I will not be fully punished for it or be whipped or to be threatened, or not to be loved, or sent to hell to burn. Hmm. So um, they were probably the happiest in the summer of 1957, spent in a rented house in, um, a, I might butcher this, Amagunset on Long Island, where they swam and took long walks on the beach. She looks especially radiant in photographs from this era when she happily entered into Miller's world. For example, attending a luncheon given by the novelist Carson McCullers for the writer Isaac Dennison. Mm -hmm. Now, Marilyn was gay and witty in his company, easily holding her own. Her vitality and innocence reminded Dennison of a wild lion cub. She became, <laughs> I know. Thank you. Wow. Is that a compliment? I <laughs> a can't lion tell. cub, a lioness bitch is ah. what it is. So she became friends with the writer Truman Capote mm -hmm. and met some of her literary heroes, such as poet Carl Sandburg and novelist Sal Bellow, with whom she dined at the Ambassador, Ambassador Hotel on the occasion of the Chicago premiere of Some Like It Hot. Bellow was bowled over her completely. Now, some photographers thought it was funny to pose with the world's most, you know, famous voluptuous Don Blonde with a book, James Joyce, mm. Henrik Hein. It wasn't a joke to her. In these newly discovered diary entries and poems, Marilyn reveals a young woman for whom writing and poetry were lifelines, mm. the ways and means to discover who she was and to sort through her often tumultuous emotional life mm. now and books were a refuge and a companion for Marilyn. yes she did read she read a lot she's actually really well read she is again she's actually smart I, like i don't know why i'm championing her i'm like guys she's really she's smart. really smart but she really was yeah, she there was, was super well read. there was a point of her life where she was taking literature classes mm -hmm. at ucla like she was like serious about mm -hmm. this and writing too so um she you know looked to books as a refuge and as a companion during um, bouts of insomnia and one of the handful of sweet and, and affecting poems included in this archive, Marilyn still in the first flush of her love for Miller and imagining what he might have been like as a young boy wrote a poem about him. And this is what it says. My love sleeps beside me in the faint light. I see his manly jaw give way and the mouth of his boyhood returns with a softness, softer, its sensitiveness, trembling in stillness. His eyes must have looked out wondrously from the cave of the little boy when the things he did not understand he forgot deep damn girl i know damn girl damn yeah so they were probably you know like i said happiest when they were you know in the summer of 1957 mm -hmm. and then we hit a, a wall mm -hmm. so she gets pregnant with miller and has a miscarriage unfortunately mm -hmm. and that starts up a lot of problems but what occurred beforehand, which was the start of this whole like downfall of their marriage, uh, Marilyn was devastated when one of her greatest fears, that of disappointing those she loved, had come true. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I think she stumbled upon a diary of Miller where he complains that he was disappointed in her and sometimes even embarrassed by her in front of his friends. So this really devastates her, mm -hmm. and she goes into a spiral. And then she is she finds out that she's pregnant with Miller's child, and there were even pictures that circulated later, I think in 2014 and 15, of her with a little baby bump. Whoa. Yes. So um, she was pregnant, had the miscarriage, because she suffered from endometriosis. Mm -hmm. 
And Uh. yeah, and it was the cause of past miscarriages as well. So this was also a time where he begins to write the film The Misfits, which we covered earlier in our podcast. And he had her in mind as the lead, you know, female. Mm -hmm. Her character foreshadows and references a lot of her personal struggles and emotions. Mm -hmm. So according to BuzzFeed.com, on April 11th, 1957, in a Paris ball at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City, this is the first time it can be confirmed that Marilyn Monroe and JFK were in the same place at the same time. So Mm -hmm. here we enter, you know, her meeting. Yes. Or being in the same place as JFK. Well, and the thing with her life is that everything is such a linked chain. So it's these weird instances that we've covered now where you're like, oh, okay, well, this like one thing happened. And then it almost like keeps coming up. And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, the dominoes have just been falling this whole time. I didn't realize these events were connected. But... For example, the fact that, like, she was involved with Arthur Miller and all of his uh, friends and his influence. He was one of the main people who were blacklisted during the the era of McCarthyism. And all that was going on. And she is implicated in a lot of that. And she, the CIA, has a file on her. And the FBI is, like, aware of her. And they're trying to see, like... If she is, you know, just married to this man who they think is a communist, or if she is an active participant in far left leaning ideals. Right. And now she's being introduced to very famous politicians who already. So again, it's like, oh, well, she married Arthur Miller. They had a pretty good run of it. Oh, yeah. But it has such wider reaching implications because of J. Edgar and oh, his yeah. disdain for the Kennedys and the fact that she ends up getting entrapped and entwined with the Kennedys. It's all these things that just start linking together. Mm-hmm. You're right. Don't marry Arthur Miller. Don't marry Arthur <laughs> <laughs> That's true, because all that you know occurred like as she discovered the journal entry mm-hmm. or the diary entry, and then he was you know brought into the courts for being, oh. you know convicted of being a spy for being a commie mm-hmm. and then of course she had the miscarriage it was just like the storm yes. of problems that started to occur and of course she's feeling insecure mm-hmm. she's always felt insecure especially from her first marriage to joe there was a there's a entry in an article where i think she even mentions to a friend and it stated that joe had a wandering eye mm-hmm. he had a wandering eye to a beauty queen of santa barbara and that really killed Norma Jean Mm -hmm. because this was like you know pre-Maryland so it killed her because she's like well what's wrong with me you know Mm -hmm. how come you can't you know think of those things like that of of me you know I'm I'm pretty too aren't I but um once again she's like in this position with Miller oh he doesn't think I'm smart he doesn't take Mm -hmm. me seriously now he's really disappointed in me she feels horrible for that and then she goes into a you know this mad spiral Mm -hmm. so then you know there's this whole thing that happens between her and JFK. They're both very popular figures during this time. Mm-hmm. Now, um, she's at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, and it's the same place where JFK was in um, at the time. It can't even be confirmed that they met that evening of mm-hmm. April 11th. Uh, the event was covered by photographers from Life magazine, and they don't appear in a single photo together they do however however appear in photos with their spouses Arthur Miller and him with Jacqueline Kennedy mm-hmm. and there were claims that she was on the White House premises I know there's a lot of shade right there however Peter Lawford hmm, mm-hmm. actor and oh. <laughs> Rat Pack member was John F. Kennedy's brother-in-law he also knew Marilyn through mutual friendships and with Frank Sinatra and Marilyn became good friends with Lawford's wife Pat who was JFK's sister Mm. it is alleged that Lawford arranged for JFK and Marilyn to meet at a dinner party at his beach house on November 19th 1961 Mm. on that date JFK was in Los Angeles he attended mass at the Good Shepherd Church and then went to a luncheon at Lawford 
Crawfords, he left to head back to Washington right after the luncheon as he had meetings first thing in the morning. This is meticulously documented by the JFK Library, FYI. Mm -hmm. There is no evidence that Marilyn attended the luncheon, but there is evidence that she was with photographer Douglas Kirkland going over proofs of her photo shoot from two days earlier. Now, after her and Miller divorced on March 24th, 1962, the next time that we can confirm that Marilyn Monroe and JFK were in the same place at the same time was at the home of Bing Crosby in Palm Springs. Oh, Bing, what are you doing? Oh, a lot of things. I can tell you that. <laughs> yes. That's another one. <laughs> JFK started the day by meeting with former President Eisenhower and having a lengthy discussion about international affairs. And Marilyn's masseuse and close friend Ralph Roberts told biographer Donald Spotto that Marilyn had called him from Crosby's home to ask him specific questions about muscles of the back. And he said he heard a a distinctive British accent in the background before being placed on the phone with Kennedy. (laughs) Marilyn told me, this is quoted from him, Marilyn told me that this night in March was the only time of the affair with JFK. A great many people thought after that weekend that there was more to it, but Marilyn gave me the impression that it was not a major event for either of them. It happened once that weekend, and that was that. Ralph Roberts is considered to be a reliable source. Then there was the whole performance that gave at that she gave at the Madison Square Gardens on May 19th, mm-hmm. 1963. So you know what that means. Yeah, well, it's so it's I think some of her most iconic film work, ironically. Yeah. I mean, her movies are honestly at this point incredible. Like she has won a Golden Globe at this point. She's like a full on actress at this point. Yeah. Not just the like but end of the joke but she's like talented as well as famous and then you see this and it's so odd this clip of her singing happy birthday like what is happening because it's so intense and so personal and super sexualized and also like oddly foreboding at the same time and you know that's of course us viewing it in hindsight but it is insane you watch it you're just like what is happening not only that like she's like several hours late oh yeah she had to be sewn in that skin tight Uh sequence gown i mean that that gown looked like it was infused in her skin Mm -hmm. and it looked like she was also slightly inebriated Mm -hmm. (laughs) like she couldn't stand up straight or maybe she was just really nervous and if you've seen like or watched the clip they say the late marilyn monroe yeah which is so (laughs) creepy to me yes like that is so foreboding it's obviously like pretty yeah when it's on the creep scale a hundred percent right there and then she comes and saying just like what is happening mr president i know so on may 18th guys 1962 the day before the birthday gala Marilyn is at a madison square garden a rehearsal surrounded by countless organizers of the show running through her performance mm-hmm. of happy birthday so apparently this performance was staged yeah. like it was pre-planned so um, everyone knew ahead of time how she was going to perform. Speaking of knowing ahead of time, it was also rumored that Marilyn was fired from her last film, Something's Gotta Give, mm-hmm. because she ran off to New York to attend the gala. However, she actually had requested and received permission to attend the event six weeks earlier. But it was at the Madison Square Gardens where she showed up several hours late and saying happy birthday, Mr. President, which drove everyone insane, mm-hmm. including Jacqueline Kennedy. Do not mess with Jackie. Do not mess with the first lady. No. <laughs> Lord knows what her gun collection looks like. <laughs> Jeez. So there was a picture mm-hmm. shot of Marilyn Monroe, Bobby Kennedy, and Johnny Kennedy mm-hmm. all together. And it looked like she's a little distraught. You know, mm-hmm. and it looks like he's like, hey, nice to meet you. We had a great weekend that last time, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, bye. Well, and that's one of the conspiracy theories. Like, I mean, we're definitely going to get into more because there's so many surrounding her. But the one of the main ones is like, well, which brother was she sleeping with and for how long? That's like what it really boils down to. Oh, right. And it's crazy. Now, there is some speculation that after that weekend – she of of spending with a uh, you know JFK mm-hmm. at you know Bing's house 
that that was just the only weekend. But then there was also rumors that she was on the White House premises, you know, being snuck in to spend time with the president. Mm -hmm. And when the president, you know, felt that the water was getting a little too hot, he called things off with her. And she didn't take that lightly. Mm -hmm. So she seeks, you know, comfort in Bobby and ends up having a affair with Bobby Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And there are even moments in time and it's been documented here where she's had like certain little secretive places where they had secret affairs. Mm -hmm. Cal Neva, which is a hotel and casino on the border of California and Nevada that was owned by Frank Sinatra. And it was the Rat Pack headquarters, especially mm -hmm. where Peter Lawford would always hang out at. So she was in cabin number three. And the Kennedys also had a cabin. Not to mention that uh, prior before um, this building was bought by Sinatra, it was owned by gangsters. So they had tunnels built underground that um, led to certain cabins. Mm -hmm. There was a specific tunnel that led to Marilyn Monroe's closet. Oh. Yeah. That seems completely fine <laughs> and not shady at all. Not shady at it's all. Fine. That also led to... The Kennedy's cabin. Oh, go figure. Mm. So there's a little shade right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, this goes back to now she's being incredibly scrutinized by the FBI and the CIA because you can't sleep with <laughs> oh, yes. the president and the district attorney of the country. No. And not be on the list somewhere. Like, that's just politics 101 like <laughs> and that's another thing that happened too with her is that they claim that kennedy had shared a lot of secrets mm -hmm. a lot of government secrets with her especially you know invasion of you know the bay of pigs mm -hmm. and wanting to pull out of vietnam and also there was a crazy theory about aliens mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. this all pretty much plays a part in the conspiracy theory surrounding her death Yes. Mm -hmm. Because apparently she didn't, you know, back down when AFK broke things off with her. And she was even mentioned to have dreams of being the first lady taking over Jackie Kennedy's position. Girl. <laughs> she wanted to be the first lady. And she thought in her mind, no, this is it. I'm going to be the first lady. Oh, boy. Like, he really, no, he really loves me. He really loves me. I mean, we've all had that friend. <laughs> Pillow talk. Like, no. Yeah. He's never going to leave his wife. And you don't replace Jackie. I'm sorry. Yeah, he hit it and quit it. That was it. Mm -hmm. And he's the president. So there was some speculation that leading the events leading to her death, um, she threatened the Kennedy brothers by, you know, mm -hmm. holding a press conference and, like, throwing them under the bus. Oh, my and we'll definitely go into detail on yes. our second part. Yes. <laughs> because this is a lot of tea. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is essentially it starts to boil down to that she is now playing uh, pretty high stakes poker. She's won a lot of the fights that she's gone into in the past, especially against studios. At the time, she was lauded by the media saying that it was like a groundbreaking win and like the turning point for actors that they no longer had to be like members of the herd but could like be individuals. Right. So I think that she is like bolstered by these victories, like these tough fights. Like she's not a pushover. She goes toe to toe with like Arthur Miller. If you listen to our episode about the misfits, like she really sticks to her guns. She really does these like big upsets in a sense. And I think that she kind of has that momentum behind her. Right. And to me, and again, as we do, let's wildly speculate, she, I think, is prepared to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Kennedys. And the problem with that oh, yeah. is that that is not a winning battle. You cannot take on the Kennedys, J. Edgar, the CIA, the FBI, American security, like, in this time period, it's all ridiculous. And I think she just got out of her league so quickly and things start unraveling. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. And we're going to cover all that in our yes. second part. So, guys, we'll come to a conclusion right here because this was a lot of tea. This yes. was not even, uh, you know, skeletons in a closet for this woman. This was like skeletons in a whole entire mansion. Yeah. 
I mean, her life is like a trilogy of Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> it was. It, it's just if we missed out anything, you know, our apologies. But I mean, well, and that's the thing. We're doing such a glossary of her life, like <laughs> any era. There's you can delve so deeply. I mean, each movie that she did is like its own chapter of a book. Like it's insane. Yes, we're just like highlighting. Highlighting <laughs> certain and important events. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, guys, catch our next episode, which it will be the part two series of Marilyn Monroe, the true crime and paranormal aftermath of Marilyn Monroe, Hollywood's Lady of Sorrow. We are going to dive in part two of that series more into her death, the conspiracy mm-hmm. theories of her death, the moments that led before her death, and her paranormal aftermath as well. It's going to be insane. But if you are interested in learning more about you know her fut- like her past work mm-hmm. and about her and Arthur Miller, you can definitely catch our other episode that we did, which was episode eight, The Misfits. That was the casting curse of the misfits yes. that involved Clark Gable and her friend Montgomery Clift mm-hmm. and the hours or the days that led up to their deaths as well. You can find out if it was, you know, a true casting curse or if the film was just hellishly unlucky. Mm-hmm. But we do have some spiritual bays and shout outs Yay. of the week. We have the wives tale. Hello. Yes. They have been amazing on social media. I've been like chatting with them. So join Shelby and Jenny in the the controversial podcast about all mysteries. They dive into the extra dark and twisty tales of some great legends, folklore, myths, and any tales with a mysterious twist. Love it. Follow them on Twitter, guys. They're really funny. They're really great. Our Strange Skies is another one I want to give a shout out to. Our Strange Skies podcast delves into the UFO events, incidents, myths that contribute to the American identity in an attempt to figure out what they mean and what they say about themselves. Host Rob Christofferson is is pretty much an amateur ghost hunter, UFO investigator, and extraordinaire. So tune in to their episodes if you really like to dive into the unknown and learn more about strange UFO events. So guys, catch us next weekend for part two. And if you want to stalk us a little more, Bryce, where can they find us? They can find us everywhere. Blueberry. Yes. And SoundCloud. Yes. iTunes. Yes. We're on Instagram. We're on Mm -hmm. Facebook. You can email us. Yes. At Remind me what it is. <laughs> I know I did it. As soon as I looked at you, I was like, wait, is it? You can email us at hollyweirdparanormal at gmail.com. Yes. And you can stalk us on Twitter and Facebook at hollyweirdparanormal. And um, we're HWP podcast on Twitter, yes. Instagram, and Facebook. We're hollyweirdparanormal. And I will eventually learn how to say those words. <laughs> I'm a big kid now. Ugh, the struggle. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Don't forget to, to subscribe mm-hmm. and rate and also leave a little review on our Apple podcast account right there. Leave stars, leave words, rate us what you feel, rate us what you want. They really do help us mm-hmm. indie podcasters out. They help us become a little more visible. We'll love you for it. And we'll definitely probably, you know, most likely stalk you, but yes. <laughs> that's not a promise. You're so lucky. <laughs> I know. All right, guys, take care. Stay weird. Bye. Bye.